How are we going to serve God? How can we who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior serve Him and make an impact for Him while we're on this earth? Well, the truth is this. We, we realize that we can't do it in our power, but only in God's power. As we seek to serve Him, it must be in God's power. Think about this. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through the one who strengthens me. But John 15 says, apart from Him, apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. So the truth is, apart from Christ, nothing, but in Christ, all things. In order for us to know God and to serve Him, we must abide in Him. We must have uh, fellowship. And that is that is the key word. The key word is fellowship. Well, what blocks our fellowship? What blocks fellowship with God? We know that we have an eternal relationship. Let me just remind you of this. When you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you're born again, you become a child of God, you're placed in union with Christ, and you have what is called eternal life and eternal relationship. Now, that's relationship. But then there's fellowship. And fellowship can be broken because we can have sin in our lives. And so what blocks our fellowship with God? It's sin. It's rebellion. Nothing can ever change our relationship, but sin can change our fellowship. And so we, we want to deal with that. And, and uh, we must deal with sin in our lives. We must be clean so that we can abide in him, so that we can maintain our fellowship and we can serve him. As we get to Exodus 33, we're going to see the issue of the nation of Israel dealing with their sins. Because God actually says, I'm not going to be in the midst of you as long as you have sin, as long as you're an obstinate people and you continue to reject me. That's, that's sort of what he's talking about. And they must ta- maintain their fellowship with him if they're going to make a difference, and we must do the same thing. We see the nation of Israel, their sin, their cleansing, and then we're going to see Moses and his abiding. Well, let's begin. Let's think about where we are. Uh, the nation of Israel has come out of Egypt. They've come to Mount Sinai. They're getting the law. They're getting set apart as God's people. They're about ready, really, to go into the land. And, you know, if you, if you kept studying and reading through all of this, eventually they'll, they'll be ready to go in the land. They go out and spy out the land. They reject it. Two, two of them say yes. Ten of them say no. And so for the next 40 years, they wander around in the wilderness. Now, last time we saw, I think, one of the most famous sections in the Scripture, and that's where Moses had gone on top of the mountain to get the law, and while he's gone, the nation of Israel, the people, turn away from God and make an idol, a golden calf, which is amazing to me. And you remember what happened? Was, uh, the people said, we don't know what's happened to Moses. They came to Aaron and they said, we, you know, what about God and what about Moses? We don't know what happened to Aaron. Let's make a God to go back to Egypt. And, Mo, and, and Aaron said, okay, give me all your earrings and all your stuff. And they gave a lot of that, and they made a golden calf. And, of course, Moses comes down, and God already tells him that they've broken the law. And Moses comes down, and he, he actually says to Aaron, what in the world happened? And Aaron said, oh, you know, these people, they're just wild. And, and I, I, we just threw gold in the fire, and this, this golden calf popped out. And, uh, you know, we, we know how stupid that is. You could just see Moses going, Aaron... I know you're my older brother, but that doesn't work. I mean, that's just not going to fly, you know. And uh, so we're going to see that uh, they, they're in this state in which they've just blown it. Let me ask you a question. And I've experienced this. I know you have. How do you feel when you blow it? When you know that there are things that are right and wrong. And there's things that you, as a, as a child of God, you as one who's growing in the grace of the knowledge of God, you whose life, you say, I want my life to count for Christ. And then there are things that are wrong, and you on purpose do them. And you know you're doing it. Anybody do that? You don't have to raise your hand, but I do. I know things are wrong, and I do them. You do too. How do you feel when that happens to you? You do it. And then you're upset, you're upset at yourself, you say things like, how can I do that? And you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you, and sometimes you still go, oh, I don't know, I don't know about me, right? Here's the nation of Israel, 
who has seen God bring them out, part the Red Sea, give them water, give them food, give them manna, give them everything. And as soon as Moses leaves, they make a golden calf. How do they, what's going to happen? What's God going to do? What do they need to do? Well, let me break down the passage for you. First, uh, well, before God will be in their midst, did I pass one? No, I got that's right. We get, in the 33, we're just going to see how he's going to, have to deal with them because before he's going to get to be with them, they got to be clean. They got to deal with their sin. So look at the outline. We're going to see dealing with the sin. The nation needs cleansing. That's the first six verses. Then we're going to see Moses and his fellowship with God. And, uh, I think that should go through 17. And then we see God's glory. Moses wants to see the glory of God. And that starts at verse 18 through 23. So that really should be 33, 7 through, I think, about 17. But anyway, we'll, we'll see it as we go through, uh, as we look at this passage. Let's see what happens. The nation's at Sinai, getting the law. And after this, they're supposed to go to the promised land. But we find a great truth. Before they can go to the promised land, before they can serve in God's power, they've got to be clean. And remember last time, Moses and, the, and Aaron and the golden calf. Well, let's see what happens. Look at chapter 33, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, depart. Now, I want you to read this carefully and see if you find anything unusual. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. Now, the Lord speaks to Moses and says, depart from here. Do you see anything in there that's a little bit different? Hmm? Your people. Does he see anything else in there? He saw some your people, right? He says, depart from here, you and the people. What? You have brought... Who, who brought them up? Didn't we think God did? I thought God was the one handling all this. What's God saying to Moses? I think you people think y'all are in charge, okay? So, how are you people doing that you brought up from here? Right? The Lord spoke to Moses, depart from here, you and the people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, saying, to your descendants, I will give it. You have brought up. What's the problem in this passage? Well, God's looking at Moses and saying, so y'all think y'all pretty much okay by yourselves? You don't need me? You got, you, when I did, you know, when, when things aren't like you think, you just turn around and make up a God? Now, I like the part where he says, to, to, you're going to go to the land which I swore, God swore, to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to your descendants, I will give it. That's the promised land. That's the land of Canaan. That's the land that God promised to them. Now, watch the next verse. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Does that sound pretty good? Sound pretty good to me. I want to, I want to drive it all out. Now, God is... Humanly speaking, God's mad. <laughs> He's not mad in that way. But humanly speaking, God's saying, so so you brought up these people, so what are you all going to do? Now, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my angel ahead of you, and I'm going to drive out these these nations that are in the land of Canaan. These are called the Canaanite, the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, Hivite, and the Jebusite. See, God has already made a promise. What's the promise? I'm going to remove those people, and this will be your land. God promised he will take care of us and them, and he'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? Now look at the next verse, and this is what's tough. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in your midst. 
Why? Because you're an obstinate people and I might destroy you on the way. Now, that is a very strong word. You know what he says to them? Y'all go ahead, but I'm not going to be in fellowship with you. I'm not going to be in the middle of you because you're so stubborn, I might just kill you all. Could he do that with us? Listen, do we think that when we sin that God goes, Oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. Don't worry about it. Is that what he says? No. His son, Jesus Christ, died for our sins. Never take it lightly. And so he says to them, uh, you go ahead, but I will not go up in your midst. Now, it doesn't mean he's not going at all, because he says, I'll never leave you forsake you, which you ever fear. God's going to bless his people. God's going to take them to a land flowing milk and honey, but he's not going to be in their midst. Now, he's been there, pillar of cloud by, uh, uh, cloud by day, fire by night. He's been there, but he's saying, I'm not in the fellowship with you, because you haven't dealt with your sin. You are an obstinate people. Hard-headed is what that means. You do your own thing. It's so amazing to me how often we want to do our own thing. We just do our thing. Are we children of God? Are we we're children of God? We belong to God? But we want to do our own thing rather than our Heavenly Father's thing? I, I think it's amazing. He says, I'm not going to go right in the middle of you because I might destroy you along the way. They have sinned, the golden calf, the rebellion. He says, listen, if we have... If we have sin in our lives, he'll never leave us or forsake us, but he cannot be have fellow we, we cannot have fellowship with him. Why? Sin. Remember we got the big bath, but we haven't got our feet clean. He's basically saying to the nation of Israel, You got the big bath, but you ain't got your feet clean, based on what we saw this morning. He said, I'm not gonna go up with I'm not gonna go up in your midst. Now watch the response when the people heard this heard this sad word. They went into mourning, and none of them put on their ornaments. Now, what happened when the people heard this? The word sad there literally means evil. It means bad. It means they heard this bad word. They heard this message that was a bad message. They went into mourning in a state of sadness. They didn't put on their ornaments. Now, why? Because look at the next verse. For the Lord had said. This is what God told them already. He said, say to the sons of Israel, you're an obstinate people. Should I go up in the midst of you for one moment, I would destroy you. Now therefore, put off your ornaments from you, that I may know what I shall do with you. See, God had already said to Moses, tell the people, you're obstinate. I'm probably not going to get in the midst of you because of what you might do, because I might destroy you. What you need to do is get all those ornaments off. Now, what's the big deal about the ornaments? What's the big deal? Yeah, what did they do with that stuff? They made the golden calf, Right? What are they supposed to do with the gold and everything they got from Egypt? Huh? They go, that's what's going to happen with it later on. Exactly right. So, why the ornaments? Because these articles were the basis of what they made the golden calf. He's basically saying, get that stuff out of your camp. Get this stuff out of your camp. God's saying, you got to deal with your sin before you can have a close fellowship with me because right now, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with you. I, I'm, you're an opposite people. If I went out in the midst of you for a moment, I might destroy you. I would destroy you. You need to put off those ornaments and then I'll know what I shall do with you. He says, I'm going to see how you respond and then I'll decide what I will do. Whether I'll be with you in a fellowship way or whether I'll just go with you. So let me ask you something. Will God ever leave you or forsake you? Even if you got sin in your life. Will he leave you or forsake you even when you got sin in your life? No. But is he, are you in fellowship and he in fellowship with you when you have sin in your life? No. That's what he's telling them. He said, I'm going to go with you. 
but I'm not going to be in fellowship with you when we go. So look what they did. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. They dealt with their sin. Now that's a smart thing to do. They wanted to have fellowship with God. They wanted to be, he want, they wanted God to be in their midst. And it's a truth for us. We have to deal with sin if we're going to have fellowship. Because we all got sin. We've all sinned up short of the glory of God. We sin all the time. We sin every day. What do you, what should you do when you sin? When? End of the day, right? Wait till you go to bed? No. The moment you recognize that you've sinned. Now sometimes we're so obstinate. We just keep on going and doing everything. But what we should do is immediately confess our sin. You remember 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess means to tell on yourself. Homologeo, I talked about it this morning. One of the Proverbs says, confess and forsake. See, it's one thing to say, I tell on myself I lied. It's another thing to say, I tell, I've told on myself I lied. I'm not going to lie anymore. I'm going to try not to lie anymore. I'm going to forsake that. Whatever I'm doing, I'm going to turn away from it, and I'm not going to do it anymore. Now, here's a question for me and for you, because I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me as all of us, and that is, are there areas that we need to deal with? That we can, so we can have that close fellowship, or the things we need to deal with, so we can have that fellowship. We confess our sin and we put it away in a sense. God remembers it no more because, as far as the east is the west. Look at this. This is the truth. Sin breaks fellowship. Confession restores fellowship. That's true. We have to deal with our sin, so we can have fellowship with God. Now, what we're going to see, and this is so amazing, we're going to see how Moses had fellowship with God. You know, when you think of Moses, I mean, I don't know about you, but you think about these wives, and you think about these people, and throughout the Bible, I mean, well, how do you picture Abraham, or Isaac, or Jacob, or Joseph, or Judah, or Daniel, or Moses, or Aaron, or Miriam? I mean, what do you picture? I mean, do you picture Moses as sort of a tough, tough old man? I kind of picture him as a tough old man. I mean, he's been through, he, he went through 40 years with pride. The people should know I would lead them out. You know, when you're young, pride's pretty easy. When you're young, you, 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 think you're old, you think you're pretty good. And then God puts him on the backside of the desert for 40 years and he realizes he's not that good. Humility has a lot to do with ministry. He resists the proud and he raises up the humble. You want to have a make an impact for Christ? You gotta, you gotta get over it yourself. And it's not about us, it's about God. It's about our Savior Jesus, it's not about us. And that's a key. And watch what Moses does. We're going to see his, his, his this, this, what we, I thought, you might say, he's kind of a hard old man, but he's not a hard old man. Look what it says. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. What in the world is going on? You got a camp and all the people and they're all traveling and there's the pillar of cloud by, you know, pillar of cloud and the fire, fire at night and, and all this. But Moses has a tent that's separate from all the other tents. And it sits out there and he calls it the tent of meeting. And it says that Moses used to pitch the tent outside a good distance from the camp. And if everybody wanted, anybody wanted to talk about, talk to the Lord or talk about the Lord or talk about something like that, they would go out to the, outside the camp to the tent of meeting. Now, what's missing right now? What don't they have? They don't have what? 
that, 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 that later on they're going to have, instead of going out to some tent outside the camp, what are they going to have? The tabernacle. It hadn't been built yet. We hadn't had any directions or anything. We'll build this, build this box and thing and then build this tent and everything. And that's, that's going to be where inside the camp? Outside the camp or inside the camp? And where is it inside the camp? In the middle of the camp. And so we don't have that yet. So Moses has a tent outside and God would come and appear there. And it says that when somebody had to, you know, had sought the Lord, they'd go out to the tent of meeting which was outside the camp. It's pretty powerful. This is before the tabernacle was built. This was a pattern. Now, by the way, it says, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp. Did they move a lot? They did move a lot until they got to the mountain and they stayed at the mountain for a while while they got the law and everything. So Moses, this was his pattern. His pattern was that when they'd stop, he'd take a tent, pitch it outside the camp, and that's where God would meet. Verse 8, and it came about that whenever Moses went out to the tent, that all the people would arise and stand at each of the entrance of his tent and gaze after Moses till the end of the tent. When Moses was going out to the tent, everybody would come and they'd go, he's going to the tent. Yeah, he's going to the tent. And they'd watch Moses go to the tent. Because the tent wasn't just any tent. It was where God would appear. In some way. And look what would happen. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud which would descend, would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord, notice capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is the personal name of God, Y-H-W-H, the Lord would speak with Moses. Boy, that is amazing. The pillar of fire... The pillar, the pillar of the cloud would come and come down and, and the Lord would speak to Moses. And Moses is in fellowship with God. And you know what we need to do? We need to be what? In fellowship with God. And how do we speak to God? If it says that, that the Lord would speak with Moses. How does the Lord speak to us? Through the Word of God. You, you have written revelation. You know, Peter is so amazing. I, uh, because we saw him this morning and, and, and he sometimes says the wrong thing at the wrong time and those kind of things. But, but Peter said that he went on the mountain with Jesus and saw him in his glory as the king. And he said, but there's something better than that experience. And that's the word of God. He said, the word of God is better than any experience that we could have. Because it's always there. It's amazing. How important is it for each one of us to have fellowship with our God? Think about this. Do, do you have um, what we often call a quiet time? How often do you have that? Do you read the scripture? Do you have uh, you have maybe a little book that as you pray or something, you write down things, you write down prayer requests, you write down people you're praying for? Do you have some kind of reading program in which you read through the Bible? Do you have a, a, a time set apart daily or every other day or three to four times a week in which you get with God by yourself? And, and we're not talking about Bible study where you're studying Philippians or Ephesians or something like that. We're talking about a time in which you just talk to God and that you read His Word and you just know Him and you write things down and you tell Him what's going on. And Do you have that? And we ought to have that. we got to have that because you've got to maintain your fellowship with God. Notice verse 10. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. They would all come out and they would worship God while Moses is meeting with God. Pretty incredible, isn't it? They realized God had come to have fellowship and they worshipped him. Now look at verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. I want to read that again. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses, how? 
face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Now, the Lord would speak to Moses. How did he do it? Then tell us. It says face to face. Literally, the Hebrew there means to be close together. We're going to see later on at the end of the passage that it's not like seeing his face because he already tells Moses, you can't see my face. But what he's saying is, we like two friends meeting. Notice what it's saying. As just as a man speaks to his friend. Now, you got friends, and it's so fun to be with our friends. We talk, we talk about everything. We talk about basketball, we talk about football, we talk about sports, we talk about the Bible, talk about life, we talk about all kinds of things, right? That's our friends. How do you talk to God? It always amazes me. Especially when I started growing as a Christian, then I would go to different places, and when people would pray, they wouldn't pray in their same voice that they normally talked in. Dear Heavenly Father. And I thought, what's that, what happened? I thought they were talking to God. Well, you have to change your voice to talk to God? And do you have to speak King James English to talk to God? It amazed me. I remember one Wednesday night when I was back at the manual, we had a prayer meeting. And we had this young guy who had not been a Christian very long. And we were all in a room, we were going to pray. And it came his time to pray. And he talked just like he was talking to any of us. See, nobody taught him he had to pray funny. He just talked to God. I thought, that's really good. People say, let's eat. Somebody pray for the food. And then they go five minutes about the missionaries in China. I said, let's pray for the food. Right? Isn't that what we're talking to God about? The food. But the Lord spoke to Moses as a man speaks to his friend. What do you say to God? Help. Help. I need you. Something is, that isn't working. Or, what does this mean? Or, please help us get through this. Isn't that what it's all about? I need you. I can't make it anymore. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's going on. I need some help. Or, Thank you for everything you do. You just do everything for us. Don't you feel that way? You ever just got with him and said, why do you do all this that you do for us? We, we, you're just so amazing. You just pour these blessings down all the time. I love the end of this verse. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Look, Joshua stayed at the tent. This is a picture of a man who always wants to be near God. Who is Joshua? He's the next leader. You, you want to be a leader? What do you got to do to be a leader? You better get some time with God, right? You better have a heart for God like David had, like Moses has, like Joshua had. Joshua's going to be the man God's going to raise up to take the people in. Well, watch what happens. Moses intercedes. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, now be careful, I, I think Moses is pretty amazing, right? Because what he talks to God like he talks to a what? To a friend, right? So he said, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourselves have not let me know whom you'll send with me. Moreover, you said, I've known you by name, and, 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 and you have found favor in my sight. So he's saying to God, listen, I, I got a question here, and I don't really understand what to do here, because you said to me, take the people up, but you really hadn't told me if you're going or not. 
You haven't told me who you're going to send with me. Now, you've said you know me by name and, and all of this, and I found favor and everything, but I don't really know what to do because I'm a little bit confused. Now, therefore, I pray. I'm asking you, I'm praying you, if I found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you. Isn't that amazing? I want to know you. I want to know what you're like. See, let me know your ways. Let me know your character. Let me know how you're going to deal with me. Let me know truth about you so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider this, too, this nation is your people. See, it's not my people, it's your people. Moses is telling God, by the way, God, remember, it's your people, not my people. I'm really one of yours. And I don't know what to do. And I'm just asking you that you need to tell me what you want me to do. Verse 14. And he said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. What a great verse. Isn't that a great verse? If you're Moses, you go, Whew, that's good. That's good news. Thank you so much. Now, Moses didn't didn't do that when he heard that. And we might not either, because we're worried, aren't we? We don't know what he's going to do. We don't know what God's going to do. God just got through telling us, you're pretty obstinate people. I might kill you all. So I'm not sure I'm going to be in your midst. And Moses says, listen, really don't ask me to take them up there if you're not going to go. And then God says, okay, my presence will show go with you and I will give you rest. So watch what Moses says. Wait, 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 let me put that up there. I think I got that. My presence will go with you. That sounds really good because see, sin has already been dealt with, hasn't it? Didn't they take off all that stuff? But watch what Moses says. He kind of wants to be sure. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go up with us, don't lead us up from here. He basically says, listen, if you're not going to go, I'm not going. If you're not going to go, don't ask us to go because I don't want to go without you. You want to go through the Christian life without him? I mean, he's never going to leave you or forsake you, but are you going to have fellowship with him if you got sin in your life? The answer is no. Do you want to go through the Christian life without God? Without his power, without, in a sense, his presence in that sense? The answer is no. He says this, for how can they, for how then... Can it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by you going up with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? He says, listen, the only way I'm going to know that really everything's okay is that you go with us. When you confess your sin, what does the Bible say? He is what? Faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. You think he's with you? Exactly. What if you confess your sin, but you don't feel like he's with you? Maybe we ought to do it again, right? We confess our sins, but I don't feel like he's forgiven me and cleansed me. I don't feel like it. What do you think about that? doesn't really matter, does it? He says, I'll remove your sin as far as the east as the west. It's not based on your feelings. It's based on his promises. So look what he says. The Lord, verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. What is the thing which Moses has spoken? To do what, Anthony? To, to go with him, right? Okay, I'll do what you've asked. I'll go with you. Wow. Now let me ask you something. What happens to us when we really get into a habit. Now, I'm going to put it that way. Into a habit of spending time with God. 
See, I've had people say to me, oh, no, 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 no. And you, you, you say, have a quiet time, study the Bible, do those things. But see, if you don't feel like it, then you're just going through the motions. It's worthless to study the Bible or have a quiet time if you don't feel like it. He says, study to show yourself approved if you feel like it. He says, pray without ceasing only if you what? Feel like it. Listen, it's not based on your feelings. It's based on what he's asked you to do. And so if we develop a habit of spending time with our Lord, of studying the Bible, of reading, of praying, of talking, what's going to happen to us? What's some things? You think they're going to go smooth? You know he's with you. Right, right. Okay, gotcha. What else? What's going to happen? Huh? But yeah. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithful. Yeah. You're going to be changed. You're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, right? The more you know him, the more you want to know him. Watch what Moses does. What's Moses been doing? He goes out to the tent all the time, doesn't he? Everybody watches him go out to the tent. God has just said to Moses, don't worry about it. I'm going with you. So what does Moses do? Verse 18, then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. What does that mean? What does that mean? I want to see you even more. I want to see more of you than I've ever seen. Show me your glory. Have you ever said, God, I I really want to know you. I want to know you more than I've ever known you. Remember what Paul said? That I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. Now you could say to Paul, Paul, I thought you already knew God. I thought you already knew Jesus. He said, oh, I know him as Savior. I want to know him in a greater way. I want to know him in that fellowship way. I want to know him in such a way that I'm like a friend. And Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Let me see what you really look like. Let me, let me see your power. Let me see your majesty. I want to see you more and more and more. Listen, how in the world are we going to see more and more of the Lord? You're going to have to get into it, right? And the more you study it, the more you read it. Have you ever, have you ever started reading? I'll tell you what's happened to me is I started doing a proverb a day, you know, 31 proverbs, whatever day of the month it is, I'm going to read that. And then I read some Psalms and I read all this other stuff too. And you know, but it's so fun because almost every day I want to go, I got to get to the proverb, right? I want to know the word. I want to know it. Well, the more you know it, the more you what? Want to know it. The more you want to know it, the more you want to know it. The more you want to know him, the more you want to keep knowing him. And it just keeps multiplying. So Moses said, I want to, I want to see your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. And will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I'll show compassion to whom I'll have compassion. He says, oh, you want to see glory? Okay, I'll show you my glory. I'm, you know, I've showed you my glory. How does he show Moses his glory? You come out every morning, what's on the ground? Manna. And how does he show us his glory? You see God's glory today? Walk outside. You know, I get up pretty early. You know, sunrises are pretty glorious. Sunsets are pretty glorious. Clouds coming over are pretty glorious. Flowers are pretty glorious. It's amazing. He says, I'll show you my glory. But then look what he says in verse 20. But he said, you can't see my face. But no man can see me and live. What is he talking about? What does he mean? What do you mean you can't see God's face? Does he have a face? 
Is God a spirit? He's a spirit being. Is the Holy Spirit a spirit being? What about Jesus? Where's Jesus? What's, what is a uh, Christophany? Does anybody know what that is? It's an appearance of Christ before he became a human being. There are times that, who do you think, let me ask you something, who walked with uh, Adam and Eve in the garden? They heard him walking. I, I, I think. You know? And who wrestled with Jacob? I don't know. Yeah. So what do we see? He said, you can't see my face and live. See, I'm the infinite and all-powerful God, and the majesty and the glory of the living God is beyond what a finite person can, can comprehend and can experience. Now, there's going to come a time when we're going to be changed, we're going to have a glorified body, and the body will never decay. But who do you think you'll see? I think we'll see Jesus. Notice. Then the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock. And here's what's going to happen. It'll come about that while my glory is passing by, I will put you in the cliff of the rock and cover you with my hand. His hand? Until I pass by. He says, Moses, I'm going to, you're going to get over there by the rock where it's kind of a little space, and I want you to get inside that sort of thing, and then my glory's coming by. But I'm going to shield it in some way so it won't destroy you. And then after I kind of get through and you're in the cleft of rock, I'm gonna, I'm gonna unveil it a little bit and you're gonna be able to see my back. I don't know what that means. Anybody here know what that means? He said, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand until I pass. Then I will take my hand away. You shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Wow. I'll allow you to see some of my glory. Let me ask you a question. When Jesus is on the earth, do you might see his glory? Hmm? When? On the Mount of Transfiguration. He took Peter, James, and John up there, and he was transfigured and showed them what he's going to be like as the king. That was pretty glorious. What about in the Garden of Gethsemane? When they came out, and he said, who are you all looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And they took steps backwards and fell to the ground. What do you think happened there? I think he kind of unveiled a little glory. Yes. What is that? It's the glory of God in some way affecting a human being. I mean, let me tell you, you know, it was amazing, and the people saw it, and, and it talks about Moses veiling his face, and a lot of people think Moses veiled his face so the people wouldn't be affected by the glory, but the glory was fading, so he veiled his face so they wouldn't see the glory fading. And there's a picture there that when you get close to God, you got the glory. You stay away from God, it fades away. You want to have a, a glorious relationship? You got to get with him. That's basically it. He says, listen, uh, I'll take my hand away. You shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Our goal and desire is to know him in a way beyond that we know him even now. To know him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Savior and the God and, our, and everything we can think of. And the only way we can do that it's been time with him. And I don't know about you, but my flesh wants to do everything else but spend time with God. Are you with me? There's everything else in the world that you oh, there's a game on. Oh, no, what? This is a good book to read. I probably ought to read this book. Oh, I can read this anytime. Right? 
Isn't that what we think? What have we seen? God tells the nation to go, but he'll not be in their midst. They've sinned. They must deal with their sin. They've removed the ornaments. They deal with their sin. We see Moses in his fellowship with God. Moses wants to see God's glory. And God says, I'll let you see some of it, but not all of it, because you see my face, you won't live. So let me make some, let's get some applications first. We've got to deal with sin in our lives. This is twice today. It must be something. It must be something, right? If in a day that while we're in John going verse by verse, passage by passage for over, way over a year, that we hit a passage dealing with sin and fellowship, and then in the same way we've gone Genesis and Exodus, verse by verse, passage by passage for years and more, and then we hit the same subject at the same time. How do we deal with sin? Well, we confess our sin. We confess it and forsake it. I love this. Dennis the Menace cartoon. He's kneeling at... He's kneeling at bedtimes, his hands are folded, he has on his cowboy hat his six-shooter, and he says to God, I'm here to turn myself in. (laughs) Isn't that us? We come and go, well, I hate to tell you this, but I did it again. I'm here to turn myself in. We must turn ourselves in. We must confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. Before we can have the fellowship, before we can know him in a way that we want to know him, we have to deal with sin. Second, let's maintain our fellowship with God. That is the key. We saw it with Moses. We've got to keep close to him. We've got to spend time with him. It is so easy to say it. It is not easy to do it. The, the cares and pushes of life will push you away from anything. And you can always say, I'll get to that later, or, or I'll do that at a different time. That's why so many people historically have tried to get up earlier and have their quiet times before the day starts, simply because once the day starts, it's almost impossible to work it in. And then, so if you're like me, by the time I get to nighttime, if I were to sit down at my house to try to do anything, I, I just go to sleep, because I'm already tired. I have to do mine in the mornings. I have to. I, I made a choice a long time ago that, that I have a group of guys come in on, uh, at 6.30 on Tuesday morning, 6.30 on, on Thursday morning. But I get there on Tuesday mornings at 5.05 because I get up at six at 4.20 and I get there by 5.05 because i got to make the coffee and get all that set up. But after I get that done, it's about 5.20. I have an hour before the guys start coming. That's where I have my quiet time. If I wait till the guys come and then when that's over, I will not have it during the rest of the day. It just will not work. Not for me. So let's maintain our fellowship. Let's, let's get a time. Let's, let, it doesn't have to, let me just say this. I don't mean this in a bad way. It doesn't have to be such a legalistic idea that it's got to be every day at the same time and the same way. There may be times that something comes up and you just, you just can't do it or you just don't, you know, but, but you spend time with him during the day anyway. But you need time to fellowship with him. And so that's a question for all of us. Do you have time? Do you have in your schedule a time in which you're going to meet with God, what you're going to study, what you're going to read, what you're going to quiet time, what you're going to do all that? The third one, one day we'll see our glorious Savior. One day we'll see him. It's limited now in a sense. And when God gave this information to Moses, I'm not even sure what it all means that he could see his back but not his face. I don't know. It could be maybe Jesus in a pre-incarnate form in some way that is so glorious that Moses couldn't have seen him. And then maybe someday in a glorified body that we're going to have that will not decay or die, maybe we'll be able to see it and understand it and and see the expression of our great God and Savior. We know that we're looking for the blessed hope and the 
glorious appearing or the appearing of his glory. That's another way to translate that passage. So one day we'll see our glorious Savior. We'll be changed forever and we'll be with him. So may we look to our Savior as we deal with our sin in our lives, maintaining our fellowship, growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you, Lord, for all that's in Exodus 33 and all the things that are there. Help us to grow. Help us to know you. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. Lord, may we deal with sin. May when the moment we recognize that we have sin in our lives, that we deal with it, we confess it, we forsake it, we continue to grow to be like you. Lord, may we maintain a time with you day in, day in, and day out, so that we can know you in a way beyond what we could imagine. And thank you that one day we'll be with our Savior Jesus, and we'll see him, we'll be with him, and we'll be with him for all eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.